appreciate uh, that nice, warm welcome, and uh, Corey, thank you. I, I felt the same way when Corey and I got together. It did start out as a uh, kind of like a blind date, but you know, when I was done, I don't know about Corey, but I was willing to go on another date. How about you, Corey? Yeah? Okay. I'm, I'm assuming because I'm here, you're, you're willing. So uh, let me tell you guys a little bit about myself, because you, you don't know me. Uh, and then uh, we'll dive in. As he said, uh, I have been in ministry for 25 plus years. Uh, the role that I'm in now, I'm, I'm not over the young adults, but ever since I left young adults, my wife and I have always poured in to young adults. I, I just, I love your generation. I love investing in this generation. Notice I didn't say next generation. Uh, I believe that you are this generation. And so uh, some of our young adult uh, are here that are part of our group, and it means a lot to me that you guys are here, so, so thank you. Um, but because of that, uh, I was sitting with another friend who's in the room, and we were just talking. I'm very well probably the oldest guy in the room, okay? So hopefully this will be a little bit of like, okay, maybe, maybe the old guys got some encouragement or some challenges for us, and, and that's certainly what my hope and uh, prayer is, okay? Uh, married, I have uh, three wonderful kids. Uh, two of them are young adults, uh, and uh, one is 22, graduated college and in nursing. One is 18, and in her freshman year uh, in college, uh, they are both uh, here tonight joining us. And um, and then we have a son who is nine. All right. So did you, did you catch that? 22. 18 and 9. That's what you call a Jesus surprise. All right? But he's a huge blessing. We love him. He, he is awesome. Uh, he also has uh, special needs. He has autism. And we absolutely, uh, he has changed our lives. And we actually believe that God had us for him and him for us. And he's amazing. Uh, I hope maybe one day uh, you will get to meet them. So, and some of them are here tonight. So, uh, so that's me. But let's uh, dive into the Word because you, you didn't come to hear about me. You came, hopefully, to dive in, maybe, maybe find some community, uh, spend some time uh, in the Word. Maybe it's possible that you're here because you're looking to find a date. So before all three, okay. All right, so let me just go ahead and say, uh, particularly to the guys, um, and then maybe I can get, uh, get an amen from the ladies. If you are looking for a date, guys, there is nothing, nothing sexier than the guy who loves Jesus, loves his word, learned how to love her, and is willing to follow God wherever he might call. It don't get any better than that. Can I get an amen, ladies? Okay. All right. So with that said... Let me pray for us and let's, uh, let's pray again and let's uh, dive into God's word, all right? Father God, we do, we come before you and, and I pray, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, come upon me. I don't want them to hear my words. I want them to hear your words and your truth. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we leave later tonight from being in your presence and in communion and com uh, community together, that uh, wherever we were when we came in tonight, we will be closer to you and your truth and the areas that you are encouraging us and challenging us in when we leave. And may you be glorified by all of it. 
We pray this in your holy and precious name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys uh, to turn your Bibles or your devices uh, over to Luke. All right. We're going to be in Luke looking at chapter 9, verses uh, 10 through 17. We are going to do some bouncing around uh, a little later because what we're doing is we're digging into a story that you probably know pretty well. But my hope is, is that you will see this story a little bit different uh, as we dig in. And as we do, I want you guys uh, here a little later, we're going to do something that will probably be a little weird and a little unique uh, that I do when I'm teaching. Um, But I want you to ask yourself this question throughout uh, this time, okay? Now what do I do with this, okay? So as we go through and as we're digging into the word, now what do I do with this? And, And I'll remind us of that here in a little bit. Okay, so uh, hopefully you've made it to Luke chapter 9, and we're, let's, uh, let's dive in. Okay, the year was 1792, the place was Nottingham, England, and the situation was this. A 30-year-old young man named William Carey was standing in front of uh, a group of evangelical pastors that represented all the churches, evangelical churches of America, of England, and of Scotland. And what he was doing is he was making a presentation to, if you will, these leaders of these churches of these three uh, countries, basically challenging them that we need to be sending missionaries and sending out people in the name of the gospel and in the name of Jesus uh, and to get out there and do this. Now, one of the reasons he was doing it, because at this time in Christian history, it seems hard for you and I today to believe this, but at that time, there was not a single evangelical missionary from those three areas, America, England, or Scotland. Now, what's worse is uh, about eight years before that, he had already stood in front of them and had given the same challenge and had asked them to consider the same thing. And so, but that didn't go so well. As a matter of fact, They didn't move. And here we are, you know, whatever it was, six to eight years later, he's doing it again. He's presenting that we need to go and get out there for the name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And this time, it wasn't going very well either. Because at that point, uh, one of the kind of big guys in the room, he stood up and he says, young man... Take a seat. If God wanted to reach the heathens, he would not need you or us. That's particularly kind of harsh. Might not even feel very, what? These are the heads of the American, Scotland, and English church. But then this is when William Carey coined maybe his most famous phrase, And quote, and his response to that was, gentlemen, we must expect great things from God and we must attempt great things for God. 
This compelled them so much that in that same year of 1792, the very first evangelical missionary society was created. And their very first missionary was, who do you think? William Carey. The very first evangelical missionary to go out from America, England, and Scotland. And in his time out there in ministry, he led more than a thousand Indians to Christ. Uh, he built over a hundred different churches. He established a dozen Christian schools for uh, Christian education of all levels. And he translated the Bible into 34 different dialects or languages for the very first time. But he did something else. Because he was the first, he inspired guys like Adoniram Judson, who went to, he was a missionary who went to Burma. Hudson Taylor, maybe you've heard of him. He was the first missionary to go into China. Uh, David Livingston went into Africa. Robert Thomas into Korea. And John Williams into the French Polynesian Islands. And this is just to name a few that were all who came after him. What set William apart is that he didn't see the obstacles that were in front of him, but rather, or even the size of those obstacles, he saw the size of his God, and he saw and knew that God himself has called us, who, those of us who have said yes to Jesus, those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we have been called to be distributors of Jesus, to be distributors of the gospel, to be distributors of his love, his hands, his feet, and when opportunity strikes, even his voice, his encouragement, his challenge, all of those things. And because he believed this, God used him to change Lives that we can't even count. Because think of all those men I just said and how he inspired them and then they went out and they inspired more. And the truth is, if we're honest, we're in this room because of men like this. And what they understood is that God had placed a calling on their lives. And we got to be careful because sometimes we hear cool stories like that. And we think of guys like me and my friend or your pastor. We're, we all have a vocational calling. But God has called all of us to be distributors of Jesus in the gospel. Right? Now, I asked you guys to turn to Luke chapter 9 because this is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, you hopefully know this story if you've been around the church a little bit. But we need to make sure we also set up some context. There's technically two feedings of abundance of people. There's the feeding of the 5,000, which is the one that we're going to be looking at, and there's the feeding of the 4,000. And it can get kind of confusing because they were very similar. Uh, however, what's very important to understand, the feeding of the 5,000 was the first of these particular miracles where Jesus fed thousands. This one is in all four Gospels. It is the only miracle that is in all four Gospels other than 
the resurrection of Jesus himself. So why do I tell you that? Because I believe that if the Holy Spirit determined through the writers of God's word that it was going to be in all the Gospels, that it must be pretty important and that there must be some lessons in here that are valuable for us. So let's dig in. Let's refresh ourselves with this story. Uh, Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew uh, apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, it's important to start right here in our first verse and just recognize something's going on here. It says, on their return. In context, if we go and look at the beginning of this chapter, they are what's happening here is they're just coming back from Jesus sending them out into their first kind of mission, uh, their first work, and he had given them some amazing powers, things that only were possible because Jesus gave them the ability to do it, not because they had the ability to do it, but he gave it to them. And now they're coming back from that, and they're telling them all that God did in and through them, and then we come into the, the story. And so that's what it's talking about. And Jesus wanted to get away because he also understood sometimes when you're doing that kind of ministry, you need a break. And, and so he's kind of wanting to do that. But then the crowd comes. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those, he those who were in need of healing. The first thing I want you guys to notice here, by the way, so Jesus had an intention. He wanted to get the guys away. He wanted to get some rest but he had compassion on the people. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced, you know, when, when there, someone has a lot of need, but I'm always amazed when Jesus, even after ministry, after ministry, after ministry, and he still continues to make time for people. I hope that reminds you how important you are to him. So let me say it if you haven't heard it. Jesus puts down everything for you, including himself. Let that sink in for a minute. If you've ever thought God just seems distant or he's aloof, remind yourself of that. Think about all the times that somebody's coming to Jesus and he makes time for him. Okay, let's go on. Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and to get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. All right, no problem. Hey, here's what you need to know is going on. Because he received the crowd, Jesus has been preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's been doing it all day. So I want you to put yourselves in the sandals of the apostles, because then maybe we can understand. How many of you would be brave enough to go up to Jesus and say, yo, dude, you've been preaching all day. It's time for a break. Let's you know, send the people into town so they can get some food. That must have taken some guts in my mind. Right? It's Jesus. Okay? But, as you will see here in a minute, 
there's some stuff that's going to happen here, and Jesus is aware of all of it. There's some intentionality that's going on. But look at verse 13. But he says to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Uh-oh. So they thought they had a solution, right? Hey, Jesus, let's send them into town. And Jesus says, you feed them. Now, the reason I mentioned that this one is in all the Gospels, if, you, if we took the time to go and look at all of them, there's more detail that when you look at them, kind of what's going on, we'll see some of that. But he says, you give them something to eat. I could almost kind of feel the tension there. No, 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 you, you do it. What? Us. Keep in mind the context. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So now he's feeding the crowd. Thus the miracle is happening. Now right now you, you might be going, like, how did he do that? It, it's a miracle. It, he suspended nature. He su- suspended super, it's a supernatural thing. All right? He started with little and he made it much because he's Jesus. Okay? It doesn't tell us exactly how he did it. It just tells us that they started with this, but look what it says. And then as he gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now, wait a minute. They all ate? We already heard there were 5,000 men. By the way, if we go and look at another context of this, one of the gospels says, and women and children. So scholars actually believe this was probably closer to 15, maybe 20,000 people that Jesus had been teaching all day. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now, when you see it here, it says that they were satisfied. In the Greek, it literally is translated, they gorged themselves. So they weren't just satisfied that everybody got, you know, two pieces of fish and a bread, a piece of bread, like, They ate till they were full. They could not eat no more. And yet there was still leftovers. Anybody love leftovers? Yeah, yeah. Depends on the leftovers for me, okay? For the record, vegetables are evil, okay? All you have to do is go back to Genesis and it proves it, okay? All right. Now, I want to show you guys something in this. First off... There are four observations that I want you to recognize inside this story that you see and that you know, or at least most of you probably know pretty well, okay? Observation number one, did you notice, did you see Jesus' disciples were aware of the need? They saw a need. That's pretty important, right? Right? Now they began to wear, the day began to wear away. So the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away, go into the surrounding villages, the countryside, find lodging and get provisions. The need, they needed the food. 
They recognized that there was a need. How do you feel like you're doing in recognizing the need that's around you? Do you spot the need? Do you feel the need? Do you see the need? Now, even as I say this, keep in mind our context. The 12 were still not comprehending everything, though, at this point. This is one of the earlier, you know, miracles. Um, and they weren't comprehending everything. Because think about what I told you they were doing just before this. Jesus had just sent them out. They were actually performing and doing miracles all on their own because Jesus gave them the power. And now, yeah, they recognize there's a need, but what was their solution? What I want you to see here is how quickly they forgot that Jesus had given them power and authority to do ministry. They just wanted to send the people away. They recognized there was a need, but hey, let's, let's let them go so they can have that need met. Jesus, on the other hand, he challenges that, right? Observation number two, Jesus' disciples, they desired to obey and please Jesus. But he says to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Do you see the panic in their voice when Jesus says, you do it, you, you feed them? But what I also want you to see here is even with the answer, they wanted to obey. They wanted to please Jesus. We should want to please Jesus. Do you guys agree? If we say yes to Jesus and we say we're following Jesus, we should want to please him. We should want to obey him. Matter of fact, there are lots of scriptures around that remind us of this. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. In Acts 5.29, when the Peter and the apostles were basically being told they had to stop, they had to quit preaching, they had to quit, quit talking about Jesus, their response to that was, we must obey God rather than men. 1 John 2.3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. They recognized that there was a need, but they also desired to obey and to meet the need, they, they desired to please Jesus. Observation number three, Jesus' disciples' problem couldn't be solved on their own. Right? Why? Well, look what it says. For there were 5,000 men. And I just told you, when you put it into context with the other accounts of this, it was closer to 15 or 20. So feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with how many loaves and how many fish? Five loaves. You guys, you know what a loaf is? Anybody like Hawaiian rolls? I love Hawaiian rolls, the little Hawaiian dinner rolls. Take that, about that size, squish it down, flat, like a, like a flatbread, and that's about what they mean by loaves. And then two, you ready for this, pickled fish. That's sardines, guys. All right? That's, that's what they wanted. That's what they were eating. At least it's not vegetables. All right? Now, but it says, for there were 5,000 men. So they're, they're recognizing, like, I, I don't know that we can solve this problem. 
Do you guys ever feel like you see, maybe you do recognize a need, but then struggle like, I don't know that I know how to solve it. Uh, real quick, Mark's account in Mark 6.37 on this gives us a little more detail. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? John's account. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? See how we're getting a little more context, a little more detail, because we have all of the accounts in this particular miracle? But do you see, let me ask you this, why did Jesus ask them to do something they couldn't? Why does Jesus ask you to do something that you couldn't? Could it be because he wants to stretch our faith? Because he wants to stretch their faith? I'll say this. Maybe you've had times in your life where you're like, you, you, you feel like Jesus is calling you to do something, but it seems insurmountable. Like, how, how am I going to do that? This is what I know of walking with the Lord as long as I have. So take it from the old guy. The truth is that when we come to the end of ourselves, that's the true beginning when we come to the beginning of who he is. And so why does Jesus ask us to do things that might be challenging? Why does Jesus ask us to do things that might seem impossible? Because it brings us right back to him. And that's where Jesus wants us. It's where he wants you. It's where he wants me. And then observation number four. Jesus gave his disciples a role to play in this. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. I want you to see they, Jesus used them to be the distributors of the miracle. And he calls you and I to be the same distributors of the miracle. Him. What did I say? The distributors of Jesus, the gospel, the words of Jesus, the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. So when I say distributor, I mean all of it. He's calling those of us who have said yes to him to be just that. Now, there's quite possibly two different types of individuals in our room tonight. Some of you are saying, yep, I consider myself a follower of Jesus. I've said, yes, I want to walk with him. I seek after him. And some of you, you might be in the room going, I, I don't know yet. I'm still kind of working through that. Okay? So now I want you to do me a favor and turn to John's account of this. John chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we're not going to read all of it because time doesn't permit but when we look it into context, there's something that's about to happen 
that I think is some deeper lessons for you and I, no matter where we find ourselves in our relationship with Jesus. Whether you would say, I don't know that I have a full relationship with Jesus, but I'm, I'm checking it out, I'm considering it, I'm looking into it, I'm investigating it, however you might say it. Or whether you say, I, I am walking with the Lord and I do consider myself a follower. Because in this context, in John's account, something happens after the feeding of the 5,000. That sometimes if we're just reading by real quick, we miss that the very thing that happens is Jesus' version of an object lesson. Is everybody, is anybody, who loves object lessons? I didn't bring one, so you know, it's all right if you love them. I didn't bring one, but okay. In this version, the next day, we're going to see an object lesson from Jesus. If you guys remember in our last verse, how much was left over? Twelve baskets, right? Okay. Maybe it's maybe it was it one for each apostle. Maybe there are lots of scholars who want to put all kinds of meaning into it. I, I don't know about that meaning, but what I can tell you is that when the next day happened, the people who had been fed the thousands, in this version, they come looking for him. Do me a favor. Matter of fact, the message of Jesus, you guys, would you guys agree that everywhere Jesus went, he had one simple message, believe in me. Raise your hand if you believe that, that, that Jesus said that often throughout the scriptures. Believe in me, right? Follow me, believe in me, right? Now it's important because in our context today, sometimes we lose behind the word believe. Uh, believe can easily be misunderstood. And Jesus takes this miracle that he just used the very next day to help the people understand what he means when he says, believe in me or follow me. And that's because he says, I'm the bread of life. But before we get to that, look at chapter 6, verse 24. So when the crowd had realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into boats and they came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Okay, they wake up the next morning. They just had an amazing meal. Jesus provided the miracle. They come looking for Jesus and the disciples like, hey, let's go get breakfast. Dinner was amazing. Let's go find Jesus. Okay, jump down verse 26 though. When they find him, Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. Here's the problem with Jesus. He knows their hearts, right? He knows what's going on. He's not fooled. And then he says it. He just calls it out. So here comes the crowd again. Remember, Jesus wanted to get away from the crowd to, get, to let the guys get some rest and so forth. And now here they come. But remember what he had done. He'd been preaching and teaching all day about the kingdom of God. And I promise you, inside of that preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, Jesus said, follow me, come to me, believe in me. Guarantee all that took place 
in a full day of preaching and teaching. And now here they come, but they're looking for something else. And Jesus knows it. Verse 27. Do not work for food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life. The food which the Son of Man will give to you. For God the Father has put His seal of approval on Him. And then He says, So then they said to Him, What must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Because that's a question of salvation. The people are asking, Okay, then what is it? What's required? Jesus is talking about what it means to believe. Let me see if I can put it into our context for a sec. Remember I said there's probably two people in the room. It's literally Jesus is about to set up this object lesson because he wants them to understand there's kind of two ways of believing in Jesus. Now, both together, you can have eternity with Jesus. One of them alone does not give you eternity to Jesus. And that's the difference between an intellectual relationship with Jesus and the difference between a personal relationship.